in chapter 4 he begins to speak about Abraham, which I think is the natural question, especially in this day of the Jews. Well, what about Abraham? Didn't Abraham work for his righteousness? And we looked at how that God, while Abraham was in a strange country, while Abraham was and Abraham's family were serving idols and false gods, God came to Abraham and called him. God called him out of that country. Abraham believed God's promise and God gave him righteousness according to his faith. But if God had not, now see it all comes back to the work of God. God called him out. God calls people out today. And if God does not call, man will not come. Abraham would have died in Ur of the Chaldees serving false gods and never knew God nor His righteousness had God not called. <clears throat> now it, whether you're a church going person your whole life or somebody that was in the world in sin and in, under the, uh, as we would say, great wickedness in our eyes being church people. But had God not called to you in the place you were in, you would have died right there whether it was a church member that was undone and lost or somebody serving sin in the world, there would have been no salvation had God not called. So what's Abraham found? Well, we came through this verse last time. To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if I'm working to earn it, if there's something for me to do in order to be saved, then that's not God's grace and the gift of God, but that's God paying me for what I've done. I've completed this task. Now, God, you need to pay me with salvation. But remember that what God owes us, that's what we have to be saved from. We're owed because of our sin and the breaking of the law. We're owed the wrath of God. We're owed judgment and destruction. And Christ came that I wouldn't receive what, I owe, what I'm owed, but that I could receive Christ's reward and His righteousness through His work. So we come down and, and he looks at David. He quotes David out of the Psalms. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So the writer, the Holy Ghost, through the hand of Paul, provides two examples out of the Old Testament of imputed righteousness. Not what was earned, but what God provided unto man that had none. David said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And again, that does not mean God's charging sin unto man that he's not committed, but it's that marking of iniquities. It's God taking Vaughn and saying, Vaughn, you're going to be held accountable and you're going to pay for every sin that you've committed. Now God could rightly do that to man. Right. And we would all die without hope and lift our eyes in eternal hell and in eternal torment and eternal destruction. But David understood, blessed is the man that the Lord is not holding down and holding accountable, but blessed is the man that God's forgiven and shown mercy and grace upon. <laughs> is there any greater blessing? There's not any greater blessing. So in verse 9, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, 
or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So now we've talked about Abraham, David. Now what about circumcision? Did circumcision not make man righteous? Because on the eighth day, and it was by instruction of God, all of the males were to be circumcised. Was that not passing righteousness down through the line? Now that's what we're going to look at. Lord willing, that's what we're going to answer. Cometh this blessedness, this attribution of good fortune. So this blessedness that God has passed down, the blessedness is righteousness. Does this righteousness, this blessedness, this favor of God come upon the circumcision only? Is it only the line? And, and you know, we've got two, two things here. Is it only to the Jews, to the lineage of Abraham, to those that have been circumcised, to those that have performed some work through this circumcision, or upon the uncircumcision? So he says this in Isaiah 49. Now the idea that this was only to the Jew, this was not an, a new idea, nor was the prophecies looking forward that God was going to bring in Gentiles. Isaiah 49 verse 5, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So the prophecies and many other places we could look even to that promise to Abraham that through him and his seed all nations would be blessed. The prophecy of salvation to the uncircumcision is found all through the Old Testament. This was the plan of God from the very beginning that Christ would bring salvation not to one race of people but even unto the ends of the earth the gospel of this kingdom could be preached and man could be saved. He says in Luke 2 that Jesus was a light to lighten the Gentiles. That was Simeon as he held Jesus in his arms. But let's listen to verse 10. How then is, was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? So here's the simple answer to the question. Was Abraham circumcised when he received this righteousness? How was it reckoned in the very first man that we see? He received his righteousness, he says in the last part of the verse, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. God imputed righteousness to Abraham while he was yet uncircumcised. He didn't have to be circumcised to receive righteousness. It wasn't God said, okay, do this and then I'll give you righteousness. No, he was imputed before. So let's look in Genesis 15. And I know we've looked at this before, but just to establish now, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven 
and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, I don't think there's any argument. Abraham was imputed righteousness here when he believed the promise of the Lord. So how long was it now till circumcision? Well, if you look in chapter 16 of Genesis, you're going to see Ishmael be born. So Ishmael is born after God imputes righteousness to Abraham's life. On over in chapter 17, verse 24, here in 17 you see the covenant renewed, and you see circumcision given unto Abraham. And in verse 24, And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So to say exactly how long it was, I can't. But I can say this, He was imputed righteousness before Ishmael was ever conceived. And Ishmael's 13 when he received circumcision. So that the circumcision of the flesh had nothing to do with the righteousness that God had given him. So he says in 1 Corinthians, just to get some New Testament, and again there's other places that say, these same things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 18, Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. So the circumcision is not, was not, and never was a means for man to obtain righteousness before God. So then, what was circumcision? He's going to answer what circumcision was right here. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So he was given the sign. And uh, if you've listened to our Bible study of John 3, we look, this is the same Greek word as what you see in John chapter 3, And I'm just going to read it there. But Nicodemus says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Same word there as miracles. Sign. And what it means is indication. So Nicodemus is saying these miracles... They're an indication of who you are. Jesus giving sight to the blind, turning water into wine, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, that was an indication of who He truly was. So here, 
the same word, the same meaning. The circumcision was an indication of the righteousness that God gave Abraham. And he says, he, he repeats it again, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. So again, proving the point that before Abraham was ever circumcised, he had righteousness that was given him by God. And as a sign, an indication that God had given him righteousness, as a seal, he says, that signet or stamp that's impressed, it's that ring that the king would use. You see that in the Old Testament to dip in wax and place his signet on the letter as proof that it was genuine and from him. It's the same word we see in other places of the New Testament speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. So that God gave to Abraham a seal, his signature. God gave to Abraham a sign, a indication of the righteousness that he had inwardly that God had imputed unto him. So you think about signs in the Old Testament. God gave Noah a sign, an indication that he would never flood the earth again with water. And that was the rainbow. In Exodus, God gave the children of Israel a sign, a token, an indication that the angel of death, as it's called, that God's judgment as it passed over Egypt would not enter their house and destroy their firstborn. That indication was the blood that was on the mantle and on the doorposts. Also in Exodus, the Sabbath days were an indication, a sign unto Israel of the rest of God that they had in him. And Rahab had a scarlet line that was provided her as a sign, a token, an indication that they would not destroy those that were in her house. And you've got this all through the... Now, was those things, was the rainbow the literal promise of God? No, it was something for Noah to look at and rest knowing that God promised. It was a reminder of the promise that God had already gave. The scarlet line. That was not the promise but it was that that was hung there that both her and Israel could see that she was not to be destroyed. But now the scarlet line hanging in somebody else's window without a promise, that's of, that's of no value. So here, circumcision being the sign, the indication, it's not a salvation but it is a token of the genuineness of the righteousness that they've received. God's going to give Abraham something that's going to set him apart from the rest of the world. Something that the rest of the world at this time did not have, did not know about, were not aware of. God's going to give him an indication to show the rest of the world the righteousness that Abraham has in inwardly. So in Ephesians 
chapter 1, you think about the indication. There's an indication today as well. It's not circumcision. In Ephesians 1, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of the of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed, same word, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. So some may say, and and you know, maybe this doesn't fit exactly with Romans. We'll look a little farther for now. But the indication of salvation given to those that trust in Christ today is the Holy Ghost of God. And if there's no Holy Ghost, then there's no righteousness that's been imputed. If there's no indication in the life of those that may profess to know the Lord, then there's no salvation, there's no assurance, there's no proof of redemption, and there's no forgiveness. But now, this sign to Abraham, I believe here it it lines up more with baptism that we have today. Because they could be circumcised, and still be unbelievers. We see that in the multitude that came up out of Egypt, those 600,000 fighting men, they were all circumcised. But by the word of God, they all died in unbelief and did not receive the promise of the word because they did not believe God. So our baptism today, and people depending on who you're talking to, put a level of trust in that water baptism. But you know what that is? That's a sign, an indication to the outward world of what's went on inside the heart. And to be baptized without a work in the heart is just as useful as circumcision was to those fighting men that died in the wilderness in unbelief. Circumcision was not enough to bring them into the promised land. They died in unbelief. And sadly, there's been a multitude, no doubt, from John the Baptist till today, that have been dipped in water and baptized, but they were missing the work of God in the heart. Now, I'm not against baptism in the least bit. I believe and am convinced of this. When somebody is truly saved, they'll want to be baptized by the the working of God in the inward man. And by the Word of God, they should be baptized. And they should join the church. And they should be there every time the doors are open. They ought to support the gospel. They ought to hear. They ought to pray. And they ought to labor with the saints where God delivered them. I believe that. But it is not salvation. Being baptized and taking part in the Lord's Supper, those works do not bring salvation. That's an indication. That's me saying to the world, 
God has resurrected me inwardly and I'm going to go down into the water as evidence, as an indication of what God's done in my heart. But without the work in the heart, there's no righteousness imputed by the work. God's work is the righteousness. So Abraham's fatherhood now. Now you got a, you got a war here amongst a church world today and many whom believe that because they are natural blood lineage to Abraham, they are automatically saved. And they take, they take Scripture out of Romans and many other places out of con- always out of context and always twisted to say and prove what they believe. But listen to Abraham's true fatherhood here. We're still in verse 11. Which he had, being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. That he might be the father of them that believe. Now what you're going to see is two, and we will especially see it, the deeper we get into Romans, you're going to see two seeds of Abraham. You're going to see two seeds of Isaac and two seeds of Israel. You're going to see a seed that was natural through the flesh and you're going to see a seed that is spiritual through faith in the work of God. Listen, just as evidence... In Matthew chapter 8, verse number 10. Now he's speaking here of a Gentile woman or a centurion. A Gentile centurion. And Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is telling them here that there's going to be Gentiles believe and enter into the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the children of the kingdom. So who is that? That's natural lineage. The natural lineage of Abraham are going to be cast into outer darkness. Another place in John chapter 8, and I guess this is very familiar, and we could read a lot of verses here. John chapter 8, verse number... 37. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Then answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children you would do the works of Abraham. 
So right offhand now, did you hear that Jesus said they were Abraham's seed? And then just a, two verses down, if you were really, if you were Abraham's children, you would do his works. So there's two different peoples here. You've got the people that are the natural seed of Abraham and you've got the people that are the spiritual seed, those that have entered the kingdom by faith. On down, this is what Jesus says to these people that are in the lineage of Abraham. Ye are of your father the devil. So naturally, they're sons of Abraham. Jesus doesn't argue with that. But spiritually, they're abiding in unbelief. And their father, spiritually, is the devil. The devil is in control, in authority, ruling over, has his hand in their life. The devil is their father. So see, being a, a child of Abraham, being circumcised in the flesh, that is not salvation. Because Abraham, spiritually speaking, is the father of all them that believe. So in verse 12, And the father of circumcision, to them who are not of circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. So you think the Holy Ghost is trying to paint a picture here as a third time now, he has iterated that Abraham received righteousness before he ever received circumcision. Circumcision had nothing to do with the righteousness that God had provided Abraham. So to those who walk in the steps, what steps did Abraham walk? What's he talking about? That I'm going to have to do what Abraham did? and I'm going to have to walk around Canaan's land, and I'm going to have to dwell in a tent and live like he did naturally? Is that what he's saying? Silly, isn't it? That thought is silly. No, he's talking about in Romans 1.17 where we looked, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That scripture is also in Galatians and in Hebrews and all three of those places quoted out of the prophet Habakkuk. So four times those words are in the word of God that the just, the justified are living by faith. Abraham's steps were believing in what God had told him and God's imputed righteousness upon him. And he's the father Again, because he's the first one to receive this covenant and not Abraham saying, I'll do and God, you'll do as a result. But God made a covenant with Abraham and he swore by himself that God was going to do. And he's the first great example of imputed righteousness by faith. And so we are brought into the same promise that Abraham received. We receive the same inheritance that Abraham received. We receive the same redemption and the same righteousness 
that Abraham received by the direction of God. So in Joshua 24.2, and I, I realize we already read this, but let's do it one more time. In Joshua chapter 24, verse number 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So there was Abraham's state before God showed up on the scene. There is man's state before God shows up with a word to call man out. God must call. God must draw. And Abraham responds to the call of God by faith, remembering, and I, I know I hate to repeat over and over and over, it feels like to me, but faith is that that is given by God through grace. There is no faith without hearing. There is no hearing, and not with a natural ear. Remember in Revelation, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Who's got an ear? The ones that God, by grace, grants them an ear to hear in the heart. Faith is the gift of God. It's not something I've got and you've got less of it and somebody else has got more. God gives faith by the Spirit through the hearing of the Gospel. It's all of God. It's all God's work. And it's all to God's glory. So that Abraham, dwelling in a far country with a bunch of idol worshipers, and God called him out of it. Could Abraham say he'd done anything in that? God called him out. The church is just like Abraham, the called out, and again, just to reiterate it, that's what the word church means in the New Testament Bible. The called out. The church are those that God is called out of an idolatrous and a wicked and crooked and perverse generation. Here stands those that God has called out and called into a covenant with Him. So in verse 13, For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the word promise here, it means an announcement, a divine assurance of good. So the promise, the announcement of God, and that's the way God works. God announced to Abraham, I'm going to do this, and this is going to be brought forth through your lineage. It was not an agreement with Abraham that you'd hold up this end and I'll hold up this end. This was God saying, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do in spite of what man does. That's the way God works. God works in spite of man. God works through man's unwillingness. I, I know, I know that's not liked. But the Bible tells me in Proverbs that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it whithersoever he will. 
God is in control and God works as He pleases whether I like it or not. And the truth is, most of the time, I don't like it. But God does anyway. In spite of what man thinks and of what man does. And if God didn't, Lord have mercy. Think about the state of a lost world today if God didn't work in spite of man. Did you want to be saved? Did you? I didn't. Did you? Did you? What about you? Anybody here ever want to be saved? So God's got to wait on me to change my mind? God's going to wait on me to say, alright, I'm ready now, Lord. We was all happy where we were. And Abraham was happy in his father's country, but God changed his mind. While he was in uncircumcision, and before he made a move to the altar, before he got saved, before he had righteousness imputed, God changed Abraham's mind. He did us as well. He didn't wait on me to say, I'm ready for you, Lord. And he didn't wait on Paul the apostle to say, Lord, I'm ready. And by the book, Paul is the pattern. No, Paul was going to persecute and God put Paul on his knees. God changed Paul's mind in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. That's the way the Lord works today. God announced to Abraham what he was going to do. And let let me read 13 again. That he should be heir of the world. So this is regarding the inheritance. This is not that Abraham did something that I could be saved. That's not what he means when he says Abraham is the father. But Abraham received the promise. And we are inheritors of the same promise that was given to Abraham. Therefore, we're part of Abraham's family. We're getting the same inheritance. And he received it first from God. And that's why they call him the father. So in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians 3 verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed, Now, I want you to notice here in Romans. Let me go back to Romans. You don't have to flip back and forth. I'm going to read this again in verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So in Galatians 3, it was not to him him, or to his seed through the law. Remember the conclusion of the law in Romans chapter 3? That all the mouths may be stopped and all the world become guilty. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. It wasn't earned by Abraham nor his seed after the law. And in Galatians 3, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now you want to hear the interpretation of that by the majority of our world. Our world takes that verse and says, He promised Abraham and the sons of Jacob. But now God tells us in the New Testament 
what he meant when he said that. Listen. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. You know what God was talking about when he was promising Abraham? He was talking about Christ, the Savior that was to come. And Christ did come through the bloodline, through the natural seed of Abraham. But the promise of righteousness and the promise of being an heir to the world, it was not because of Abraham himself or because of the circumcision or because of the bloodline of man, but because of Christ that was yet to come. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law which was 430 years after cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So very much the same as what we've looked at in Romans 4. If it was of works, then it's not of grace. If it was of works, then it's of debt. Well, here he says the same thing, just a little different. If it's by the law, then the promise was no good. If God gave the law for me to earn righteousness, then what good is the promise of Christ that God made to Abraham? Would be of no value, wouldn't it? Faith would be made void through the law. But it was not by the law. It was by promise. Skip down into verse 27 now. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. So there you see where that the fatherhood of Abraham, where that comes from. It's all pointing to Christ and Christ's work and them that are Christ's, by the word of God, they are Abraham's seed. So now, a lot of doctrine that you hear today that they've got some inheritance coming in some future time or in some future kingdom, or in another dispensation, however you might hear it, know that that's a lie. Because them that are in Christ, they're Abraham's seed, and they are heirs of the exact same promise that Abraham received. And Abraham's the father of all of them that believe and trust Christ for their salvation. Jew and Gentile. Neither one of those matter. It's whether we are in Christ or not. So maybe we've got time for one more verse. <clears throat> it was not to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, 
There is no transgression. So which are of, he says, they which are of the law. That's the origin. Where they're from. Faith is made void to make empty, abased, or neutralized. And of none effect. So he says, the promise is made of none effect. That means to render entirely idle or useless. So if it's of the law now, if those, and let, let's just go back to the beginning. If the promise to Abraham was of Christ to bring salvation to the whole world, that was the promise to Abraham. That Christ was coming, that man could be righteous. <coughs> if then, automatically, all of the natural seed of Abraham according to the law were saved or righteous, whether by natural lineage or by circumcision, then does that not render the promise of Christ worthless? The promise and the inheritance which is by faith is of no value if man gets it strictly based on who he is. And the law which was added so if God gave the law so that I could be a better person and earn something, <clears throat> then what good's the promise of Jesus Christ? See, it's misuse of all these things that produce false doctrines. The law was to show me my transgression. Where law is, where there's no law, there is no transgression. That word means a violation. If there's no speed limit, then there's no speeding. How could there be? So the law then adds a limit and I now can violate the law depending on how I drive on the road. So the, the law of God then, if there's no law, if there's no standard of what's holy and what's righteous, you wind up getting what we're seeing today. What's right by the standard of the United States of America today? Men being women, women being men, boys playing girls sports, men using girls restrooms. That is considered right today. A man that thinks he's a woman is serving our country in one of the highest offices. Now that's what you get if there's no standard. We're living in a, a, a lawless place where there's no sin and there's nothing wrong anymore. Well, the law was given as a standard of righteousness and holiness and purity. <clears throat> that man might know what God says is right. Man can't do it. But it's there to make me aware that I am violating the righteousness of God. That was the purpose of the law that God gave to make me aware of my violation. Why? Why would God want man to be aware of his violation of the law? That he would look to Christ as a means of salvation, as a means of atonement,
as a propitiation to the violation that I've committed. <coughs> but you think about the, the promise being made void. In Galatians chapter 2, we'll see very similar again. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness came by the law then Christ is dead in vain. That's pretty plain speaking. But now if I earn it if I do something to obtain righteousness or if I obtain it just based on my bloodline then Christ died for no reason. People are being saved outside of the work that Christ has done. And you know what that does? That makes this book a lie. Because Peter preached, and it's written, that there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're circumcised. And you're a Jew and a child of Abraham, but you must be born again. If man gets it by the law, then all of that's of no value. And the promise is entirely idle, useless, worthless. It's of no value to those. Think about what that's saying. People are getting it because of who they are and what they've done, and Jesus plays no part in it. Can that really be? No, it's not. In Galatians 5, verse number 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. Those that are trusting in the law and in works and in a water baptism and in a natural image, and a, a church membership, those that trust in these natural things that they've done, and not trusting in Christ, they've fallen, <coughs> and I know, fallen from grace is a term that people don't like today. Because they say, wait now, you can't lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying here. I do not say that you can lose your salvation. But these trusting in other things, they fell away from the grace and the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. No, the problem is, and it always is, remember this, if you don't remember anything else, remember this, the problem over and over and over again, no matter what you're looking at in people, is that they've never been regenerated. They've never been saved. They've never been born again. They've not lost something that they once had. They've not fell away. God, don't let that happen. God does not allow that to happen. Well, what about Judas? Judas was a devil from the beginning. The Bible tells me that. He didn't lose him. He didn't let him go. He was a devil from the start and he was a devil at the end. That's what's wrong today. People need born again. <coughs> Things are petted and looked over so often to the detriment 
of the truth of the Word of God. This is what suffers. The standard that God set up is what suffers when man panders around and tiptoes around the truth and tries to help people to feel better. People are lost today and they need to be born again. And if we'd stand on that truth, it'd be a great help to our people that are lost right now. That's what he tells me. He tells me to prove what is acceptable unto God. That's the church's uh, mission in this world that by the indwelling power of the Spirit of God we prove to a blinded world what real salvation brought about by the hand of God is. That man wouldn't think that well I believe and that's I'm saved. Man ought not think that. We ought to prove otherwise. The work of God, the regenerated life, the new creature and the seal of the Holy Spirit of God upon the life ought to prove to a blinded people what it really is to be saved. So, the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So you're, you're telling me that Abraham's seed that did not believe that they died lost and undone. That is exactly what I'm telling you. If Paul had not believed and died lost and undone, where, does, where do you think Paul would have wound up? I believe we've got his own writing. He was headed for destruction. Paul was a child of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the straightest sect of Pharisee. And Paul needed to be saved. And in this very book, and I, I know I say over and over, we'll cover it more later, in this book, Paul says, my desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul realized that what the seed of Abraham needed, naturally, was to be born again. but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. If one person, if one person obtains righteousness and goes to heaven outside of Christ, this promise is void. Christ is dead in vain. Now we know that ain't true. So just know this then. If that's not true, know this. If you are without the operation of God in the inward man and the seal of the Holy Ghost on your heart, you are not going to heaven. That's the Word of God. And if you get there without the work of God and the Holy Ghost in your heart, then the whole book's void. You have voided the book, you've broken the standard, and you are one that has overcome all things. Now that ain't true. That ain't true. All hearts and minds clear.